a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Hello, everyone. This is Martin Willis, and I'm introducing a new show that I do with four people generally all together. That is... Chris DiPerno, Ron Ecker, Amanda Cobra. This week, however, Kevin Randall is taking Commander Cobra's place, and it's called UAP Crossfire. I'm playing the audio to this one particular show to introduce it and to let you know that you can get this show every single week on Thursday evenings at 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern live on our YouTube channel or watch it any following time after that. Down below you will see a link to our YouTube channel and this is over at KGRA Radio. UAPs, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial, interdimensional, time travelers in origin, or are they simply a result of top secret military black projects false flag alien invasion psyop, drones or other human made aircraft. Join UFO historian Don Ecker, MUFON State Director for New York Chris DiPerno, retired veteran pilot Commander Cobra, and well-esteemed host and researcher Martin Willis as they discuss the latest news and topics regarding UAPs with a no-holds-barred approach on UAP Crossfire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to UAP Crossfire. I'm Martin Willis, and over here we have Chris Tiperno. He is a uh, former investigator and uh, also involved in MUFON. Down here we have Don Ecker, who's been at this a very, very long time. He was involved with the UFO magazine years ago and uh, has written many great articles and books. And speaking of books, right down here, Kevin Randall joins us taking the place of Commander Cobra. Now, these are all uh, veterans, and I want to uh, wish you all happy belated Veterans Day and all to you out there as well. Uh, I'm the only non-veteran in the house here tonight, and thank you all for your service. Now, a couple things. Uh, we're going to be talking today. We're going to be talking a little bit about AARO and the whole situation, 
and uh, Kirkpatrick. Uh, I watched this uh, li live last night. Um, he was uh, involved in like, uh, it was called UAP Clarity. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. He was joined by David Priest. He's an NSI uh, speaker on national security. Of course, uh, Dr. Sean, uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, he is the head of AARO, uh, which is All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. And also Shane Harris, who reports on US intelligence for the Washington Post. And I should mention this, that Shane, uh, for one, claims that he had a lifelong interest in UFOs. So uh, the one thing I want to say that I, I got out of this whole thing that uh, that I want to caution everybody about and and point attention to really quickly and that it should never, ever happen, and that is uh, Sean Kirkpatrick is not naming people that are involved in, uh, I'm trying to think what he called it. It was a technical office uh that helps them out he's not naming any names and solely because he, he himself has been totally attacked and harassed even his son uh and i think there is no place in the world for that type of behavior uh it really makes all of us in the ufo community look bad a black eye in my opinion and i just uh whoever's doing that don't do it anymore please it's 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 a terrible thing but uh i i believe uh, so I'm going to go around and ask, you know, different opinions. Um, and first of all, I'd like to start with the, our, uh, Kevin Randall, who is filling in uh, for Command and Cobra. I want to ask, what do you think of the AARO uh, and uh, Sean Kirkpatrick's, uh, his, his job that he's done so far? We've seen it all before. I think of this as... Mm. Uh, you know, 2.0, maybe 3.0. If you go back to 1947, when the first UFOs, flying saucers appeared on the scene, there was a serious investigation that they started to, to learn what was going on. It quickly degenerated into uh, debunking and uh, ignoring the problem. And we're, we're doing the, seeing the same thing here. We've had seriousness in the beginning, but nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. We hear about transparency, but there is none. We are told that they've investigated 800 some cases now, but they haven't told us exactly what uh, those cases are. They haven't told us much about the resolution of those cases other than to suggest that there was no evidence of alien visitation or extraterrestrial presence. Um, we're getting absolutely nothing. They've been distracted by, I think, people who are less than credible talking about uh, crash retrievals, 12 crash retrievals, including some that we are know, we know are hoaxes. Uh, they don't seem mm -hmm. to have any discrimination. I'm just not impressed with the thing. I mean, we're way down the road. And we really don't have any more information today than we had two or three years ago. Right. Uh, anyone else want to jump in on your opinion, Don? Yeah, this uh, is an extenuation, in my opinion, of the same dog and pony sex show that uh, the Pentagon and the intelligence people have been doing going on 80 years now. Look, the bottom line is none of those people, Kirkpatrick, none of those people have been read into the program. When you have the former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency tell 
is is told purportedly that you don't have a need to know, okay, the guy that was heading up the DIA, then, hey, buddy, the fix is in. It's in. And recently, uh, a paper I wrote, I, I basically stated in there that whatever this core secret is, it will never be exposed simply because they discovered something. They, the powers that be, discovered something back in the late 40s, the early 50s, that they were terrified would eventually get out into the public, and they've shut it down forever and a day. And uh, the bottom line is, if you get right down to it, we're spinning wheels. Hmm. All right, Chris. Well, I have to agree with Kevin Randall. First of all, I think this is a bunch of garbage. I mean, we've we've seen them try to make fake things into real. That's ridiculous. We've seen people who we we think are highly credible. Like let's let's take the guy of naval intelligence. I I say this all the time. I knew the minute he opened his mouth, I knew there would never be disclosure. When he turns around, he goes. Oh, my God, look at this triangle up here. We analyzed this for months, and we came to the conclusion that this was a drone over a naval battleship or a cruiser or whatever yeah. with the most sophisticated radar equipment that was on that ship. And they can't tell that it was a drone immediately? Come on. I mean, you, you know, there's a bridge for sale, but I'm not buying it. So I, I can tell you this. I don't think disclosure is coming. And I have to agree with what Don says. I think there's something maybe hideous, that they don't want to tell us because if they do, we're going to start asking secondary questions. And the secondary questions, they mm. don't want to answer. Now, I'm going to go a little step farther, and I'm going to put this out there. Because I, you know, in some of the MUFON reports, some of the people know whether I cannot vouch for this, but I will tell you that people have said there have been body parts and mutilated people when some of these crashes happen. Now, I'm not saying that that's been vetted. I will not I will not stand and say that's vetted. However, people have reported. So let's just say this is true. Let's just say that they are doing bad things to us, and the U.S. government goes, oh, my God, if we put this out here, how are we going to justify and, and handle all this? Right, well, right. it's the guy. It's the guy that originally did human mutilation research, starting back in the late '80s. Uh, number one, I think talking about this, there's more than one group of visitors. Let's call them visitors coming here. More than one, but one of them, in fact, has basically dealt in not only cattle mutilations and mutilations of many other animals, including horses, bison, uh, sheep, but also the odd human. It has happened. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. the other day, two days ago, I just discovered another case of human mutilation from Brazil that had been hidden until 1994. I had never heard of it. And believe me, back in the early 90s, I was up to my eyebrows in that research. But yeah, 
there have been those things that have happened. And uh, if that's part of the equation, hey, they're never going to talk about that ever, ever. Martin, may I just that's say right. one little thing? Yeah. When I talk about this, one of the uh, Senate here, congressional hearings, and this is the thing that just got me. When the head of naval intelligence gets there and says that we don't have a good enough computer to give you a better shot of what was projected on the screen there. Do you remember that? He says, oh, our computers can't, can't handle this. He brought a, maybe a, a, a lousy laptop with him to try to show a picture at one of the congressional hearings. We have some of the most sophisticated equipment in the world. You can't tell me that they couldn't couldn't get a, a, a very sophisticated computer to show a congressional hearing. That that was just a joke. Well, if I can jump in, mm -hmm. I'd like to say one thing about that yeah. same hearing. I noticed they asked one of the uh, representatives asked about the um, the Maelstrom Air Force Base shutting mm -hmm. down the missiles and. The Navy guy that you've been talking about, Chris, said, uh, well, we, we haven't heard about that. We don't know anything about it. Later on, he said, later on, he actually said, well, I, I do sort of know about that. So we've got him caught in uh, a fabrication. Yeah. We didn't so, know who Wilson was either, Kevin. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They, he looked like a deer in headlights when they asked him about Admiral Wilson. Who's he? Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm in touch with a guy that's down in uh, Washington, D.C., and he's been doing a deep dive into, you know, the transparency of UAP. I don't know if anyone's heard of Kevin Wright, the Soul uh, Foundation, that he's, he's trying to really dive deep into uh, what is being, what are they being transparent, A-A-R-O, what are they being transparent about or not? He thinks it's a total disinformation operation. And I, I kind of agree a bit with that. Um, one of the things that I was watching last night and Kirkpatrick was asked the question, uh, what about the uh, what about doing research on the Tic Tac, you know, situation off in 2004? And he said, well, first of all, it's uh, back in 2004. And all the data we have on that is the data that you all have on YouTube. And you know what I call on that? I call that BS. Total BS. They have more data on that. You know they do. The data bricks were taken off of uh, from the Hawkeye, the Grumman uh, Hawkeye. That was uh, that. Uh, you know, there's more than one witness that has saw those data bricks taken away. So you know, somewhere maybe it's compartmentalized. But he should have access to it. He's supposed to have access to all these uh, these uh, you know defense uh, segments that are out there. You know, could they hide something like that? Why would they hide it? All that. And the whole thing about the Tic Tac that I think is really bizarre, that whole situation, is that it seems to me that the people in command would really want to know what the heck's going on. And they, it was just kind of like, you know, casual. Yeah, we'll send someone out there and take a look, you know. And then after they viewed what they saw, that they didn't do more exploration. They just went out and they filmed a little bit and that's it. Now to me, that would be like, oh, my God, I'd want to find out. Only sexual. <laughs> only uh, Don. Only Don could call it that. I, yeah. Kevin, I have a question for you. Now, you've been in the military. You've uh, written many books, and you're probably one of the leading authorities on this. 
And I'm going to ask you about this closure. Why, what, what, in your opinion, why are they putting on this such a dog and pony show when most of the people in the world believe in UFOs now? I think they're trying to, as Don has said, they're, they're covering up the, the ultimate truth. They can't go to disclosure. And in intelligence, uh, one of the things you do is you deny everything. If, if you classified material, if you're called about it, you, you deny everything. Even if the other side can out the information, I'm thinking, you know, we say there's no UFOs. Well, if they land here, that pretty well ends the conversation but they haven't done that. So we can keep our secret because they haven't cooperated in that sense. Uh, there's, there's clearly something going on. There's clearly something that they're hiding. And I think the other problem is it all has to do with power. Uh, if they admit that they don't have the answers, they begin to lose power. They lose uh, financial gain. It's all related to that, keeping power and keeping the financial gain. The other thing we have to remember is at the very top of the leadership are all elected officials or appointed officials that come and go with the administrations. It's the bureaucrats at the lower levels that go on from administration to administration. They're the ones keeping the secret and they can keep it from uh, their bosses. I think the one thing you do, they say, well, how can you keep it from the president? And I think I've always said, well, if I was the president, I would call the director of CIA and said, what can you tell me about UFOs? And he said, well, it's classified. I can't tell you, Mr. President. And my answer is, you're fired. Bring your deputy in. But I think the real answer is, well, Mr. President, this information is scattered over a number of agencies here. Let me pull together a comprehensive report for you, and we'll get back to you. And somehow that report never gets written. And pretty soon something happens, and the, the interest wanes, and they can go on to something else. And then pretty soon there's a new administration in town and we can start all over again. So I think it's just all of that combined, but, but I, I don't think they're moving toward disclosure. I thought at one time they were, but it's clear that there is no transparency. They're uh, bringing in people who have no sense of history of what's going on uh, to talk about um, the, the UFOs. I know that at one point they weren't interested in looking at the history. They didn't want to see anything um, later than 2004, 2005, I'm thinking to understand this whole phenomenon, you've got to go back to the very beginning and see how it how it's gone and how we have come to the point where we're almost going to hear about it, we're about to hear about it, and then, then pretty soon, no, we're not going to hear about it. And we can point to specific places in the history. Uh, um, 1948 with the estimate of the situation and the uh, the chief of staff of the Air Force says, no, you didn't make your case. I want it rewritten, taking out the conclusion it was interplanet the, the craft were interplanetary as opposed to interstellar. We go to 1952. We've got Ed Ruppelt in there working hard to gather the information. And the next thing you know, the CIA is holding a panel. And the panel says, hey, there's nothing to this. And the attitude of, of uh, Project Blue Book changes to not one of investigation, but one of debunking and one of hiding information. We get to the late 1960s and we have the Air Force commissioning the University of Colorado to study UFOs. But what we learn now in today's environment, and we have the documentation to prove that, is that the conclusions were drawn before the contract was signed. A guy named Ed, uh, Robert, uh, Robert Hippler, Robert Hippler, who was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, wrote to the Condon Committee and said, here's what we'd like you to find, that there's nothing to this. The Air Force has done a good investigation and we should end the project. And lo and behold, we get down to the 
to the end of the project. And what do they find? Well, the Air Force had done a good job. There's nothing of scientific value to be learned and Project Blue Book should be closed. And that's what they did. And yet they continued the investigation under other names moving on. And then we find out in today's environment, they've been actively doing this since uh, for nearly two decades. So um, I, I don't think we're close to disclosure. And I think they're doing a wonderful job of hiding everything and diverting attention from don't look here, look over here where something else is going on. And I, th I think we're being led down the primrose path. And what's mm. the end goal? That's that's the most amazing thing is what is the end goal for this? Because there's there's got to be some agenda that they have with this with this. I'll tell you where it started, I believe. December uh, 16th, 2017, when that Pentagon article came out. I think that's what this is all about. And just trying to, to kind of make uh, some type of effort to make it look like they're actually doing something. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it seems like that, that, that's where all this spawned from. But Martin, here's the deal. It's just like Kevin said, they, they don't want to know nothing uh, before 2004, 2005, which we know if we look back that far, we, we know it's not the Chinese because Fitzpatrick said, well, we got to make sure it's not the Chinese. We got to make sure it's not the Russians. They might have this technology that we're not aware of. That's bullshit because well, the Chinese yeah. needed our planes in, in World War II to, to defend their country. And Don't Russia forget Bill Clinton yeah. gave them technology so they could launch their rockets. Yeah. In the 90s. So that's why I say well, disclosure is that anything soon, Martin. Well, uh, th there's also the fact um, that oh, you just threw me for a loop, Don, because you got me thinking about <laughs> something else that <laughs> was going on this track. Uh, yeah, the senior moment, as they say. Uh, oh, that's a Biden moment. <laughs> I know. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I think he, the, the bottom line with AARO is that, uh, you know, they're going to have a new director and everybody's curious. They have a temporary one right now. I can't remember his name. But everybody is looking to them as if they're going to have information. Now, if I was on the outside and I just started looking into this topic and I watched that program last night, I would just simply say, well, hey, there's uh, time to move on. There's really nothing. Uh, it sounds like they can resolve everything. And by the way, the spherical UFOs, the orbs or whatever, now they're, they are making drones. So now... Uh, just disregarding the fact that they've seen them all the way back since the Foo Fighters. Uh, now they're just saying, uh, yeah, that's what that's what people are seeing is possibly, you know, it's either a balloon or a drone. These spherical, uh, you know, orb-shaped drones now they have. Well, there's so something I think, that, I think that the Pentagon and the intelligence people are loath to address. And that is the simple fact that since the very beginning, okay, even when we were still in the process, we, the United States, of developing atomic warheads, UFOs, Foo Fighters, whatever you want to call them, had an inordinate interest in 
our nuclear program, our atomic program. From day one, Kevin mentioned Maelstrom. There were several cases in the United States where these objects came in and interfered with our ICBMs to the point that literally a number of them became unusable. They had to replace them. George Knapp, after the fall of the Soviet Union, traveled to the the former Soviet Union and discovered that UFOs also interfered with their nuclear weapons. And this has been clearly documented, okay? Today, probably the majority of the public have no knowledge of this whatsoever. This this is something coming out of the blue. And I can see some of these people out there going, oh, yeah, right. Well, the fact of the matter is it happened. And the government does not want to talk about that. Anyone follow up on that one? Well, I would just say that I think that if an outside force can disable our retaliatory capabilities, which is the whole thing about Maelstrom, that's a national security issue. And you can see why the government would want that covered up. They don't want our competitors in the world to realize an outside force can influence the capability of the a retaliatory strike. Uh, that makes sense to me. But you look at other aspects of the UFO phenomenon, and there really is no reason to hide um, some of the great cases. I, I think of Leveland, for example, which was uh, 1957, November of 1957, where the objects had stalled cars. The sheriff said there were he'd gotten hundreds of phone calls uh, on the night of uh, November 2nd and morning November 3rd of this UFO around Leveland, Texas. I found out that Air Force officers were actually involved in one of the cars uh, that the Air Force officers were driving was stalled by the close approach of the UFO, which is something that had not come out. I I outlined that in a book I cleverly called Leveland, but it was an investigation like that. And so you've got a capability that these things have manifested that we have no defensive ability to, to re- uh, reject. And the other thing you have to remember, if I was an alien race and I wanted to invade another planet, I'd just stand outside the atmosphere and throw rocks at it, meaning pushing asteroids and meteors down. Um, and and if, if they attack that way, there's nothing we could do about it. And that might be another reason they don't want to discuss it because we are so vulnerable in that in that fashion. So we look at all of those sorts of things and disclosure makes no sense in the world today. They don't want to do that because they'll lose power, they'll lose influence. And I think that's the driving force behind most of what's going on here. Not to mention the fact they really don't have all the answers. They just know there's visitation going on, but they really don't have all the answers about it. I personally think that's the biggest part of it, that they don't have the answers. They they may know just part of it. But I mean, one of the things uh, as you say, you know, if they've known at least something for a long time, they've got a lot of explaining to do. And also the fact that they don't know whether they can protect us from something that's in our skies. I think that's where the fear, you know, the fear base of this whole thing comes from and, and why they would try to keep it, you know, under under uh, cover what the actual, you know, what what is going on and kind of brush it away and, you know, you think of all the different things that they've done over the years, the Robertson panel in 53 and stuff like that, just to 
try to calm people down, the start the ridicule. Okay, so you're only a fool if you're looking into this. That's still, that still goes on, not as much, but still goes on today. If you go back to 1947, one of the headlines that Don Schmidt and I found in a newspaper, it said, uh, you are flying saucers seen in 38 states except Kansas. And the gag was Kansas was a dry state. You couldn't legally buy alcohol in Kansas at the time. So they're implying that if you see flying saucers, you, of course, are drunk. And, yeah. and, and that kind of ridicule manifests itself today still. Sure. Let me take you back on what Kevin Randall said. Here's the thing that gets me is that perhaps maybe they don't want to find the answers because they're scared of what the answers would be. Because we've talked about them turning off you of, of nuclear weapons, but there's been reports that they've turned them on. And that's very frightening that they not only can turn them off, they have been reported to turn them on. Now, if they can do that, that, that is an absolute national security threat because if somebody could turn on a nuclear, who's to say next time they'll say, well, let's just fire one. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think the other thing mm. you have to remember is is when you're when you're looking at that sort of that sort of thing, the national security aspect of it, they don't want, meaning the government, our government doesn't want our competitors to realize that our missile defenses can be influenced by outside forces. Uh, they're supposed to be um, immune to that, and yet we have good evidence that it has happened more than one time. A Maelstrom was, was the first one, but I've talked to missileers from various bases like Francis E. Warren in Cheyenne, Wyoming, who talked about uh, similar things happening there. So it's a, a widespread phenomena. And I, Chris, your point is very good. If you can turn it off, you can turn it on. And, and that's something that we really don't want anybody else to know. Yeah. There was I mean, that, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Mark. No, no, I'll go ahead. finish the thought. I was going to kind of change a little. So, no, I, I'm saying, and I think because of those situations like that, there's probably people in the Pentagon say, if we put our head in the sand, because they've done it before, if we put our head in the sand, maybe it'll just go away and we don't have to worry about it. Well, the one thing you have to look at is back in 1947, they were very concerned about what was going on. And slowly that concern evaporated because the invasion force never happened. There was no really consequence of, of the appearance of the flying saucers. And here we are uh, 
nearly 80 years later, still nothing has happened. So they feel kind of comfortable in this idea. Well, if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. So we can, we can just sort of ignore the problem, uh, at least publicly ignore the problem. So Mario Woods, uh, I've had him on my show a couple of times, and he uh, was um, in the Air Force and security, and he was at Ellsworth. I think that's in the Dakotas. And what had happened there many times after, during a UFO sighting, and you don't hear much about this, was that the a, a warhead would go into launch mode. So he would take their truck, their security truck, and drive it on top of the launch door that gets blasted off and put it in neutral and leave it and hoping that if the thing went into launch mode, the blast door would go up and the truck might fall in and jam the missile and make it a non-launch. Um, so this happened many times. So uh, so there are, there are some times that they were messed with, but none of them ever launched. That's the bottom line. But uh, there was, uh, th that's a real interesting case because he, he uh, showed up when there was uh, all the alarms were going off and there was a big orb over one of the, the missile heads and uh, uh, one of the, I don't the launch sites, I guess you'd call it. And uh, Well, let's look at what would happen if, if one did get launched. Mm, okay. Terrible. That would open up Pandora's box. Mm -hmm. If we launched one or if the Russians launched one or the Chinese, my God, even today, North Korea purportedly has an ICBM capability with nukes. What would happen? Everybody ultimately would end up launching. And what would happen to the planet? The planet be would, in essence, be destroyed. Now, mm -hmm. if those people, in fact, those people, those entities, those visitors, if they do have an interest in planet Earth, and obviously they must have some kind. They don't want to see the planet destroyed. So yeah. there, there's, there's, there's a dichotomy there of thought about what in the world is truly happening. Hmm. I, I'm not sure. I, I, Don, we talked about this before. I don't think they give a damn. I, I really, because if they really cared a lot, they, I think they would maybe do a lot better job of helping us. I mean, everybody says, oh, you know, the aliens, they, they're kind, they're peaceful. I haven't seen any of that. I'll tell you that. We talked about it on your show. And I will tell you that I haven't seen anything that they've done that one would, would help our planet. Well, you know, I, I've been banging away at this since the 80s. And the one thing that that I've heard from I couldn't begin to tell you how many how many people and from all walks of life, uh, there are more than one group purportedly that have been coming here. It's kind of like we're just off the, the freeway off ramp. OK, planet Earth is just off the the freeway and. Uh, I was informed that a number of these groups are very benign. They're, they're tilted kindly toward human beings. Others are here simply as a matter of uh, scientific curiosity. Uh, let's go to the zoo and see what the animals are doing. But 
I was told there is one, at least one group that have an inimical hatred for humanity. Now, I could never quite figure that out. I mean, my God, we, we can barely get out into space today, by all accounts. What could they possibly have against us? Until I had a really long, involved conversation with Ingo Swan. Now, Ingo Swan, for those of you who may not be aware of him, was the man that designed the protocols for the CIA and DIA Stargate program, okay? And it's a long, involved story. I'm not going to go into all of it now. But the bottom line is all human beings have, to a certain extent, a psychic talent. Now, Chris and I will tell you that as cops, as police officers, when we were out on the street, often we'd get what we would call a hunch, or my gut would tell me. Am I right, Chris? Oh, yeah, Sixth Sense. We just kind of like some, something right with this. Yeah, it's psychic talent. And according to Swan, this group of ETs, I will call them that, or visitors, see that as a solid threat because they have a very strong, according to Swan, psychic talent. Perhaps that's part of the equation. But, uh, you know, hey, look, not, not all of them are, are in it for our, you know, for our blood, but, but there, apparently there are some. So, hmm. well, I, I could I could tell you that if you're abducting people and you're taking stuff from their body without their permission, if you're doing all that type of stuff, that's not that's not you know there's no consent to that. You know, some people call it an abduction or whatever experience. That's what Would they you call tell it Steve now. Greer that by the way. I'd love to tell Steve Greer a lot of things. I'll tell you that. But I will tell you, I call it kidnapping and assault. If you take me without my permission and float me through a wall and start taking stuff from my body uh, without permission, that's they're treating me like they would treat a, a dolphin or a seal or a whale like we do on this planet. I'm nothing more than a specimen to them. And to me, that's not right. Hmm. Well, uh, let's let's get back a little bit more to how we think uh, this whole thing is going with. Do I want to say uh, transparency with with our government when it comes to this topic? Kevin, you mentioned you know uh, what we've heard all the way along, and it seemed to me uh, like you just said when we were talking about this. Uh, in the beginning, that it did seem to me like, wow, we were really, this is a real exciting time to be involved in this topic because it seems like, you know, the scientists are now getting, that's something we didn't have before. Science is really looking at this seriously. A lot of people in science are, and it's because of that article, you know, I believe. But uh, in, in that regards, uh, do you think that there still could be a possibility that we're heading uh, in the direction of knowing more with all the scientists involved. And that's directed at you, Kevin. Well, the problem, Avi Loeb is looking for probes 
probably without any kind of organic component to it. Um, when I talked to him about that, he was talking about them sending out these um, these probes around the the galaxy that would take tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years to to get to their locations. So uh, he's moved it in that direction. We have SETI, which is, uh, I guess, a scientific endeavor and an attempt to find radio signals from uh, a, another civilization. And I've always wondered, well, maybe they've advanced beyond radio signals and they don't use that radio anymore. And so we're kind of looking for, for nothing there. And on the other side of that coin, do we really want the aliens to be looking at our radio signals that would include programs like Laverne and Shirley, you know, about the two poor girls from Milwaukee and get an idea of the level of our intelligence in that direction. But I, I think that that when we look at the idea of moving toward disclosure or more openness about it, look at the report. Congress mandated they do a report. And when it finally dropped in um, June of, was it 2002 or 2021? When it finally dropped, it looked like a poor high school report. There's what, 18 pages? I said, well, we've been doing this and we've been doing that and we haven't really found anything. We've got 144 reports and we've uh, we only solved one. And then we've got to do another one in six months, but that really didn't happen. And now we're to the point where, yeah, we're, we're doing these reports, but if you look at the reports, there's still nothing to them. It's always the same thing. What we plan to do is investigation and we've gotten all these cases and we're working with these other agencies and we're designing forms and we're designing reporting uh, uh, protocols and that sort of thing. But we're not learning about any of the cases. We're not learning about what they're finding. Instead, we get diverted into other things. And so I think it's just all a big distraction until public interest wanes in the topic and they can go back undercover. Uh, there's other people besides Avi, you know, involved. There's there's a lot of scientists involved. There's uh, that, uh, you know, where, but, but then again, I don't know what type of, uh, research they're actually doing, uh, you know, how far they're getting with their different types of detectors. Some of them have talked about that, but, uh, but I haven't seen, I've seen the interest. I haven't seen any real forward movement. Um, you know, there's, uh, equipment that they've been using, you know, to detect things, but I just don't know how much they are seeing and how much they can use. You know, when it comes down to the data that they always talk about, and one of the things uh, Kirk Patrick said over and over again last night is I'll follow wherever the data and the evidence takes me, no matter what. And uh, so I, and I think that's a very good approach, but I don't think that, I think that, and I, I should say that I know that he's been told things, but uh, I, that, uh, you know, are really important. It has to do with, uh, for instance, I just mentioned Mario Woods. He did a four-hour testimony with them, with AARO, and uh, told them everything he's told me, and we're talking beings and everything. But here's the problem. It's like, okay, they can take his testimony, but that's not evidence. And that's, we don't, that's the problem with this whole thing. To get the hard evidence, it's always been such a problem. And I, I think that's the witness testimony uh, is is not is not covering it uh, enough, according to uh, you know uh, the people that are 
in AARO and well, the Pentagon. That, and that, that goes down to my paper, okay? There is a core secret about the UFO UAP phenomenon, and it is covered, enclosed by a special access program. You don't get any more ultra top secret than that. And unless you are on their bigot list, that's the list of people that are authorized to deal with this actual real information, all you're going to get is bullshit, okay? Admiral Thomas Wilson discovered that. And I don't care how much he denies the report that, that names him in it, okay? He is required by law to lie about that. The SAP, even acknowledging you know there is an SAP, would put him in violation of federal statute, okay? So he's got no recourse except to lie, lie, lie. And any of those people that have any real knowledge about this are going to lie, lie, lie. They have to. Hmm. I have a question for the entire group because this has been plaguing me. Why would Sean Fitzpatrick leave Arrow? Why? He's got the greatest, think about this. He's working on the greatest question in the world. Are we alone in the universe? And he, supposedly he should be able to have, David Brush says he doesn't, but I would think that he would have unbelievable information coming into it. So if you're working on probably one of the most important questions in the world and you've got, uh, you know, money, you've got government and stuff, why do you leave? Why does he, why did he leave, Kevin? Uh, he's been, he's being pushed out. And I uh, imagine why? that uh, I'm getting to that, okay. <laughs> but it's all, but it's all speculative because we really don't know. We, we know that, uh, several weeks ago, somebody else was appointed over him. He's still the director, but there's somebody else that now is sort of in charge. And then he says, "Well, I'm I'm going to retire now." Um, so he's being he's being forced out. But it may be that they they feared that he was going to leak things into the public arena that they didn't want leaked into the public arena. And so the the way to do that is force him out. And I don't know what kind of pressure they might have applied uh, to do that. And we, we've got the, the uh, people talking about him not doing a good job, and then they, he's, he's now going to retire. Well, he's been doing a wonderful job. And if you listen to him talk in the various programs that he's been on, and I've, I've sat through some of the briefings in, uh, in front of Congress or the Senate um, that we could watch on uh, through the Internet, um, he never really gave any information about what was uh, uh, being found. It was always about, well, we're going to do this, and we're, we're 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 moving toward getting this agency to provide us with information and that sort of thing. It was never about, well, we were looking at these things, and uh, well, you know, we're really kind of stymied here. We don't know what's going on, but we've got these wonderful cases, and now they're talking about how they've solved virtually all the cases that have come to them. So we, but but the real point is we do not know because they're not being transparent, and that's the real the real crux of the matter. Uh, you were mentioning the scientific involvement. I've uh, been reading a book about uh, UFO witnesses, and you 
there's a large number of people involved in the scientists sciences talking about eyewitness testimony and the reliability of it and how that really is not the best way to conduct science. You need something that's reproducible. You need something you can take into the laboratory. And somebody seeing an object in the sky isn't really great science. And you can draw as much information out of them as, as you can, but their memories are all colored by the environment around them. Uh, and I, I hesitate to mention the name, but Don Menzel, the great UFO debunker, was asked to review the Air Force Project Blue Book form on uh, reporting a UFO. And he said, you've left out an important question, which is, did the witness wear glasses? And was the glasses on at the time of the sighting? And I'm, and I'm thinking, that's really a germane question. You've got somebody who wears glasses and sees something they can't identify. You've got to know that what their eyesight is like and how it may have affected their perception of what they're seeing. So we we have science going on, but it always, it seems to me, it's more of a debunking nature. Here's what you guys are doing wrong, not how, here's what you've done right. And here's the cases that are important, as opposed to here's the cases that we have solved uh, by by looking at them scientifically. So uh, you know, the point is, yeah, there's more science going on, but it's always sort of directed away from the idea that there's alien visitation. SETI, SETI's looking for intelligent life out there. Well, if we're being visited, they don't have to look very far. But they Yeah, I said that just... Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. I was just going to say, that yeah. they, they just don't want to hear about UFOs. They're not interested in that at all. They And they just got, what, uh, 200 million? 250 dollars? million. 250 million donor. Yeah. A, a quarter of a uh, billion dollars to continue their work. And, and some of it seems to me that it's just out of date, looking, looking at the wrong, looking for the wrong thing in the wrong places. And there's other ways we could be looking for the intelligence rather than looking, just listening for radio signals. So, but that's just my, opinion. I think they do. I think they do more than that now, but I'm not really sure. I don't know if they actually look at the techno signatures or if that's just like the James Webb. I'm not sure. Um, but I think they're, they're doing more than just radio s signals. But um, I had that conversation with Seth Shostak from SETI, and I said, you know, uh, what if they're right here <laughs> and you're looking everywhere and they're right here? Uh, it, he did not want to hear that. And he had an answer for everything immediately. He was he was ready. He's you know, a real passive aggressive guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll say. Uh, so we have about six minutes before we go into break. And. Uh, when you were talking, Don, I think it was you that talked about special access programs. Are these like private entities or are they part of the government? Well, from what I understand, Martin, the <clears throat> recovered material, and by all accounts, we certainly have recovered material, uh, was then farmed out to aerospace corporations. Okay. Now, the the uh, Thomas Wilson thing, all right, when he was requested by uh, uh, a number of people, including uh, an astronaut, several other people, to look into this when he was still head of the DIA, uh, he went back to the Pentagon. Somebody 
pointed him in the direction of an aerospace company out here in California. Now, I don't know which one it was. I have a very strong suspicion of which one it might have been. I'm not going to name them. But uh, he called them up. They wouldn't talk to him on the phone. They said they could only speak to him under absolute, you know, covert means. He flew out purportedly to the coast out here, went to this corporation. They took him into a secure vault, and he asked them his questions Purportedly, the security supervisor pulled out their bigot list, looked in, Wilson's name was not on it, told him, sorry, we can't talk to you about anything, and politely said goodbye to Admiral Thomas Wilson, the <laughs> the, the guy in charge of the DIA. He was not a happy camper. And by all accounts... When he went back, he was ready to raise some particular hell until somebody pulled him aside and cautioned him about what could happen to him before he finally retires from the government. Cooler heads prevailed, and he let the matter drop. But if, in fact, that's true, and private corporations, and I personally think that's exactly what they've done with this material, are now the people that are actually in charge of this. And among other things, they have no worries. They don't have to uh, respond to FOIA requests or anything yeah. else because they are private. And they are the people that basically have, at this point, the keys to the kingdom. Well, how could this be, like, say, generational? Like, let's say we only got about two and a half minutes left for the break, but how could this be generational just to carry on, like to say it's a, a, a corporation, a private corporation, hey, and they'd be housing this stuff for, like, decades? There and is something else that we've got to take into account, Okay. Back in 47, among several other things, the, after, after the Roswell event, the CIA came into its existence. The United States Air Force broke away from the U.S. Army Air Corps. It became its own service entity, and the National Security Act was enacted. Now, that is truly the scary part. Because under the National Security Act, if something or someone is deemed to be a threat to national security, anything can be used against this individual or entity up to and including premeditated murder. Now, I, I could see a private corporation whacking somebody much quicker even than the government. Chris, would you agree with that? Well, David Grush has said, basically said that, hey, uh, murder has been been committed. When asked, what? he brought it up. He says that people over this uh, topic has uh, have been killed. Now, if well, that is like, true. So generational. You got somebody that's retired and they saw where all the bones are. I could easily understand them taking somebody like that out before they would have yeah. a chance to talk. 
All right, well, we got to go to break. So hang in there after these commercials. We'll be right back with more. Whoops, sorry about that, everyone. My camera, my camera, there's my camera. <laughs> Welcome back. Here we are again, UAP Crossfire. We got Chris, Don, Kevin, and I, Martin Willis. And uh, one of the things I wanted to start off with is, uh, and also in that uh, that roundtable or whatever it was last night that I watched with Kirk Patrick, uh, he was asked by uh, a moderator, are any of the people involved in AARO, uh, we understand they're looking for signatures that may be Russian, maybe Chinese or any of our adversaries. Is anyone there in AARO looking at this for the possible signature of extraterrestrial? And he quickly said, no, just like that. And um, I thought that was pretty interesting myself, uh, but um, he did say, you know, he went on to say that that's up to the academics and the scientists on the outside that I guess they're contracting with. That's what I took out of it. And they need to do like peer reviewed papers on how something like that would look like. Um, how would something like, like that look like? He also said one thing that I thought was pretty interesting is that, uh, and I have to agree in a way, you know, it makes sense is that, uh, you know, when people are saying, well, this thing just defies physics, and he's saying, no, it doesn't, you know, it just defies what we basically know. And that's, I do agree with that. That's probably true. But uh, he's saying there's theories for every type of physics that there possibly is, but I don't, I still think there may be unknowns in physics. But still, the bottom line is, um, he's basically saying that there is really nothing that we're going to look at as far as the possibilities of extraterrestrial uh, in this program that they're doing. Any thoughts on that, anyone? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, well I, I would have to say that, uh, once again, we're, we're dealing with the... Pentagon and intelligence agencies, dog and pony sex show. Okay. Look, <clears throat> we would know. I would think we have one of the most extensive intelligence gathering operations ever. I mean, there, there is a mitred of, of different groups within the federal government that collect 
and analyze intelligence, all right? Not just the CIA, not just the DIA, not just the uh, NRO, not the NSA. There's a ton of them. And they would know if the, if the Russians, the Chinese, or anybody else had this advanced technology. They would know it. So what does that leave us with? Okay. It leaves us with, in my book, one of three possibilities. Number one, extraterrestrial. All right. That's the most obvious. But the second one that we've got to take a look at is the possibility of interdimensional travel from a different dimension, a different universe. And the third, and this is something that I've only begin, begun to consider probably in the last 10 to 15 years, the remnants of an, a very advanced human civilization that abandoned the planet for a while at the end of the, uh, the Ice Age, the Younger Dryas event, when much of the planet became uninhabitable after that catastrophic thing that happened, but eventually came back and may now be living, among other places, under the oceans or even underground. So there are three possibilities that I have personally looked at. And uh, any one of those three could conceivably be the secret behind these unexplained machines traveling in our skies. So uh, this guy, the way he just arbitrarily poo-pooed that, well, I don't know about you guys, but that tells me tons. And they still don't want to talk about aliens. Anything else but aliens. Because if they talk about aliens, then once again, Pandora's box becomes open. And they don't want to deal with the, with the fallout from that. Well, he tried to put a spin on it last night, Kirkpatrick, that is. He said that if it was extraterrestrial, it would have been so much easier and so much safer than our adversaries. Right. And to me, I know, to me, it was like, why? Uh, what a, because extraterrestrial would be a total unknown. Their intentions, their capabilities. You why see is the that double not, speak, Martin. The double yeah. speak and the obfuscation, yeah. okay? And quite frankly, the pure bullshit of their position. Hmm. Yeah. Chris, what do you think of that? Well, I, I uh, all right, here's what I think. They know it's not the Russians, they know it's the Chinese, but they're using that narrative so they can get money. If, if you're going to say it's aliens and, 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 and put that out there like that, I don't, I don't think they want to do that just yet. But I do know they want money. And I think that if you kind of allude, well, the Russians may have this technology. We got to catch up. You know, uh, the Chinese may have this technology. We got to catch up. And it'd be so much easier if it was them. But we just don't know. We don't know if it's aliens. God, so maybe it's the Russian Chinese 
send us more money so we could do more research. I think money has to play a part into this whole disclosure thing because we have changed the narrative. We have gone 70 years and said they don't exist. The, the, we don't know what's flying around the skies and we could care less. To all of a sudden, it's a threat. It's a threat to national security. It's a threat to our airspace. It's a threat to our ships. And they're moving to agenda that I don't like. Because once you start that going down that road, there are some bad things that can happen. And I think this is all in a playbook for a final outcome. And I don't like what I think the outcome might be. Mr. Randall, what do you think? Looking at it from a point of view, uh, I, I think Kirkpatrick's point of view is they're too sophisticated to talk about it being aliens, even though they may be looking for aliens. And they disguise that by suggesting we're not looking for that sort of thing. But if he's going where the evidence takes him, I think eventually he would have to have gone to that location. There's no way around it. So it may be that they're looking at it as a way of, we're going to eliminate the um, prosaic now before we get to the exotic. And by doing that, we end up at the place we want to be. I think the place they want to be is to be able to say, well, there's nothing to it and you, you all can go home. There's nothing to see here, move along type thing. But um, the fact that he would say, well, we're really not looking for aliens makes sense to me, even if they are looking for aliens. But I think what they're really looking for is, I think Chris kind of hinted at this, uh, what our competitors in the world are doing uh, I'm more worried about that than aliens, because as I said, if we go back to the beginning of the modern era of, of UFOs, and that would be actually with the Foo Fighters, uh, it's been going on for quite a long time, and there has been no overt hostile action that we're aware of. Uh, it seems to me that most of the um, problems we run into is, is accidental injuries of people who were approached too close to the UFO or the UFO approached too, approached too close to them, with some notable exceptions. And I think Don alluded to that at one point. But I just think that that comment is um, something that a government official would say to, A, keep away from the ridicule factor, and B, knowing full well that if you're looking for these sorts of uh, – you're studying – unusual phenomena, whatever the source may be, you'll eventually get to where you want to go. You know, one of the things that Chris just mentioned was the money. And I think that's really important because that's, you know, the old saying, follow the money. I think that goes all the way back to Watergate. But um, really, when you think about it, NASA's fund funding for looking at the UAP topic was $100,000. I mean, that's like a lunch break money for them, you know? Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't think it's another thing, you know, we haven't talked about NASA, but it, it is another thing that I, I don't think they're really, I don't believe that they're really taking it seriously. I don't know what anyone thinks about that on this panel. I, I, I noticed the same thing when the NASA had their big meeting whenever it was, I sat through the whole darn thing. And it, and it, again, it was more of this, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. 
but it really didn't seem that they were taking it seriously. They're not really interested in this. They have other priorities that they're more interested in. And this is sort of a diversion to them, something they really don't want to be engaged with, because again, because of the ridicule factor. And I would think that if we were able to demonstrate an interstellar spacecraft that actually visited Earth, the NASA budget would explode because now we know it's possible. At this point, we sit here and we say, well, we know interstellar flight is really impossible because the speed of light is the limiting factor and all of that. Well, what if they figured out a way to defeat that? And once mm. you know something is possible, you begin to look at look for it. But if you think it's impossible, you're not even going to try. So I, I would think that they would want to explore this because of the possibility that it would increase their their budgets. But I think that they look at it as something that's just a diversion and they really don't want to be caught up in the UFO phenomenon. Right. Yeah. NASA, NASA has been uh, disingenuous for a huge part of their existence. And I'm just going to mention a couple of things. Number one, <clears throat> back in the 60s, and we all were there, okay? We were youngsters, but we watched, I watched Project Mercury as a kid. And boy, I'll tell you what, I was excited. I watched Gemini. I watched Apollo. And of course, Apollo at that time was the crown jewel. We were in a desperate race with the Soviet Union to see who could get to the moon and return safely first. Well, we did it. And during that period of time, if you will recall, and I'm sure a lot of this stuff today is, is online, can be tracked down, there were plans galore about what we were going to do after we got to the moon. There were things like lunar colonies being planned. There were things like lunar manufacturing, because there are a lot of processes in that much, much less G environment up on the moon that we could do faster, easier, cheaper. There were talks of placing military forces on the moon. We went there six times. We had one mission that, thank God, we didn't, but we almost lost the astronauts on. And then suddenly we pulled the plug on it, period. And NASA's explanation was, well, you know, we've been looking at the American public. They now see these lunar missions as routine. They lost interest. So we're going to cancel it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've heard buckets of bullshit before, but that one took the top billing for me, all right? And we had future missions planned. We had the equipment, including rockets, built. We had the astronauts trained and ready to go, and they hmm. didn't. Then we started hearing rumors that there was another presence on the moon. Well, after December of 72, okay, the only thing we did was go into close Earth orbit with everything up through the shuttle missions in the 80s. But then something strange happened. Guys, something strange. And Kevin Randall will, I think, acknowledge what I'm about to say, all right? Because he served 
in an intelligence capacity, as did I in Vietnam, we suddenly went back to the moon with the Clementine mission in 1994. And Clementine had two objectives. Number one was do a close asteroid flyby, which they had to cancel because of technical problems, and go back to the moon and completely and entirely remap and rephotograph the entire moon. They took the BMOD, okay, ballistic missile people, took two point and NASA. NASA was a part of this. 2.5 million photographs of the moon. Okay? How many of those have ever been released? They were all classified. Even other elements within the Clementine hierarchy were not permitted to see these photographs. Now, Kevin will tell you, and I'll tell you, that in wartime, okay, we'll have reconnaissance missions that will overfly something that's interesting and we'll photograph it. Go back, analyze the photographs. Then perhaps wait a little bit, go back and re-photograph it again to find out what changes may have been made. Gentlemen, I am convinced, all right, that... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The hierarchy, the people in the know already knew there were and is a presence on the moon. They got photographs of it during Apollo. But Clementine, at least in part, was to go back completely re-photograph the moon and find out what, if any, changes would be. Now, what could be more impactful to national security and, if you get right down to it, world security, than knowing that there is probably an extraterrestrial presence that's been on our moon for a long time, and what the hell are they up to? Gentlemen, do you have any thoughts about that? Kevin, <laughs> throw the ball to me, huh? Yeah, oh yeah. He mentioned well, your name a few times. Yeah, Don. Don is right about one thing in intelligence work. You, you photograph. You do reconnaissance missions. You photograph. You go back to see what has changed, um, to see what's going on, and that sort of thing. It is curious that we made the effort to go to the moon in the '60s. Made the effort to talk about what was going to happen next. We were going to go to Mars. We should have been, been on Mars literally decades ago. Um, and yet they said, well, the, as Don has mentioned, the American public was against it. Well, you know, we, we spent $400 million to go to the moon. And I'm thinking, yeah, but the money didn't go. It still remained here. It was in put back into the economy in various aspects of it. It wasn't like we burned up the cash. But... Um, 
Yeah, there's curious things that have been going on on the moon, and it makes perfect sense to take a look at it, especially on the dark side of the moon, where we rarely get a glimpse of what, what is happening there. And I think they're finding things about the moon that we didn't expect. Uh, but I, I just don't understand that. And I, I heard what Don had talked about, too, about the Clementine program and the literally millions of photographs that you had had to have special clearance to see the photographs. What possibly could you have seen on the moon that would have to be classified right. in the photographs? I mean, there's, there's, there's no reason for anything to be uh, classified there. You, you would say, well, maybe it has to do with the equipment used and we may gather some sort of information about our capabilities of photographing stuff from long distance away. And you're thinking it really wouldn't tell you much of anything if the pictures of the moon wouldn't tell you much of anything. So I don't understand that whole um, part of NASA classifying it and, and keeping that information away, not just from the general public, but from their own people. in in some instances, they just didn't have the need to know. So it's, it's, it's really a conundrum in that respect. Now, doesn't the moon have, isn't it helium-3 that's supposed to be something yes. that they could actually mine and use? Yes. In a, For fusion. It, fusion reaction, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that no one's looked more into doing some type of mining. You know, uh, you know they talk about mining asteroids, you know, with all the, the metals and whatever. And, and one of the things, you know, I mean, you, you think about if they say like an asteroid is full of, diamonds and platinum and gold or whatever it is. But anytime you make something, I mean, I know I'm going way off topic here, but if you could harness an asteroid and it had like a million pounds or a billion ounces of gold, what happens to gold, right? <laughs> if gold is plentifully, plentifully available or if it's contained in one area, you know, it would have to be, I mean, it's so, bizarre how we you know we we place values on things and when it has to do with rarity and stuff like that but uh I, again i'm going way the hell off topic it has nothing to do with ufos someone bring me back quick <laughs> how about if i ask ask kevin randall this because I, I i wanted to get this in before kevin you're really in the hot seat tonight aren't you yes <laughs> yeah yeah Never I thought I was going to get able to sit back and just kind of enjoy the conversation. Yeah, no, no, that's not the way this show rolls. We get out of each other next time. Back. Yeah. Except <laughs> here's here's one of the things you, you were you were saying. I remember you saying, "Well, we we don't think they're hostile, so we don't really uh, give it much thought." But listening to David Grush, there was two things that that stuck out with David Grush's interview with News Nation. One. While they were talking to him, they asked him about Roswell. And he said, I am not authorized to talk about Roswell. Right? He alluded to the fact that he was told, leave that subject alone. Which tells me he was briefed before he went on, went on any type of news to, to tell all this. He was, he was instructed that this certain things you're not going to talk about. The second thing is, he actually did say, and, and nobody has really made a big thing about it, but he said there's been hostile encounters with UFOs. He, he actually said that, and I was absolutely um, amazed when he said that, 
but he didn't get the specifics. David's never been with specifics on certain things. So my question to you is, sir, what do you think of David Grush? The disclosure of what he says, because we're back on disclosure, Martin, the disclosure of what David Grush said, and how credible do you think as a professional in ufology David Grush is? Let me preface this by saying I really hesitate to say anything nasty about anybody anymore because it always comes back to haunt me, uh, even even when I'm right. Um, but the problem with Grush is he didn't say anything we didn't already know. He talked about he talked about this Italian UFO crash from 1933, which had been investigated by some of my colleagues in Italy. Uh, two decades ago and decided it was a hoax. And I'm thinking, how credible can this guy be if he isn't aware of that investigation? He alluded to Roswell, but good Lord, if you were talking, if you were pretending you knew something from the inside, you'd have to mention Roswell because everybody knows about this. Uh, was it 20 years ago, something like that? Russ Estes, and Don Ecker knows Russ, said to me um, at one point, Nobody knows what Roswell is. You ask 10 people on the street, what is, what's the big deal with Roswell? They're not going to know. Today, you say, what's, you know, you ask 10 people on the street, what, what is Roswell? And they're going to talk about uh, aliens. It, it, it's in the, in the public ether around us. So he had to mention Roswell, but he's given us absolutely nothing. Rush is giving us absolutely nothing that we can look at. We, he doesn't name names. He doesn't provide uh, hints of where things might have happened. He says, well, there's 12, 12 incidents. I'm wondering who he's talking to because I can point to people that I've been in contact with who talk about various aspects of this. And I know that they're not telling me the truth, that they've heard something from someone else and they've just kind of incorporated it into their stories. I want to know who he's talking to. I want to know what they've told him. I want to know what the incidents are. If he says, for example, um, take the Las Vegas, alleged Las Vegas crash of 1962, which I think everybody knows I was sort of the authority that brought that into the public arena. I am now convinced that that was a uh, very bright meteor. And it's separated from the Utah aspect of it. There's two separate things going on there. But if you mention something like that, that to me would, would damage his credibility because I know things about that that aren't general knowledge. I think that uh, to understand what he's talking about, we've got to know what the sources are. We've got to know who the names of the names of the people who he's talking to, how he came in contact with that information. And I know, Don, you're going to be aware of this as well as I am. You look at the shadow box that with the picture of him that's got his medals on it. The highest medal he's got is a meritorious service medal. Uh, that doesn't suggest to me any... Um, Combat. Well, th I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. I've, but I, I was thinking of the higher level of those kind of service medals that you would get if you were really on the interior. And once you've completed the assignment, then you, they give you the distinguished service medal or they give you one of the higher meritorious service medal. Clearly, he has no combat awards. And um, uh, that, I mean, 
that that wasn't that that important to me. I just I just noticed that he didn't have some of the higher level um, service medals that you would expect him to have. He was that inside of what was going on. So there are little things like that that bother me about his testimony and his story that could be turned around by a, a couple of sim simple sentences. Uh, providing us with additional information that we could check out, and we say, "Okay, yeah, this guy is this guy is credible." Right now, I really don't know. Uh, I, like I said, I'm bothered by this this repeated mentioning of this 1933 thing in Italy, which makes no absolutely no sense. But and, Kevin, there is one thing. There is one thing. One about thing. Rush. One thing. One thing. After he went public, there was within the Pentagon a concerted effort to damage him. Somebody released his medical records and showed that, in fact, he may be on the, uh, the uh, spectrum as far as autism. Okay. Uh, they tried to embarrass him. They tried to basically shut him down. And the guy, to his credit, came out and said, yeah, well, this is what happened, and this this is how it went on. And, yeah, at one point I did seek uh, some psychiatric uh, counseling. But, uh, you know, who today couldn't benefit from some of that? So, I mean... <laughs> Yeah. Well, but the point, yeah. but the but the real point is, yeah, somebody tried to embarrass him, but it may have been just to divert the conversation from what he was talking about because it was going in a direction they didn't want it to go. But I don't know what sort of inside knowledge he might have, if he has any inside knowledge, and none of that has been demonstrated. And when you get to the specifics, he always falls back onto that. Well, I can't talk about that. We'll we'll talk about that in a classified ses session. That doesn't help us understand what's going on. And that tells us that we're not moving toward transparency or disclosure because every time we get up to that point, it's, I can't talk about that now. I'll have to, we'll have to do it in a classified session. And none of that information ever comes out. We have the same thing with Kirkpatrick, with him running Arrow, uh, talking about, we're going to do this, we're going to do that but we don't get any of the information. We do not understand what's going on. We hear hints about it, but we don't get the truth. And we can't evaluate what is really happening without that information. So uh, with Grush, I just don't know uh, about that. I, I look at some of the things that, that worry me about his military background and that sort of thing. I think if people looked into my military background, they'd, they, they would probably be disturbed about it too. Uh, but... I just, I just don't know. I just don't know because we don't have sufficient inf information to draw a good conclusion on the viability of that information and, and the source of the information. That's the other credible thing that we do not know. Where did he get this information? He said, well, I talked to these people who saw this, that, and the other thing. I've talked to people who claim to be on the inside and were telling me all these things. Well, you can't talk about this, but here's where we are. And, and uh, without being able to verify that information or know who he's talking to, we really cannot properly evaluate that information and, and where he was going. When I heard about the Italian thing, the very first thing I thought of was someone is feeding him disinformation. But then I started thinking about it. At what end would someone do that? I mean, what would be the whole purpose of it? And, and why think, would he... I, I think what's happened and 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He's come into contact people, with people who really believe the Italian thing. And you look at some of the, the information out there on the internet about it, you can see some people are not, not a, are unaware of how it had been um, debunked long ago, so they're still clinging to the to that uh, that story. And I think he got it from somebody that he trusted, who may have may have had a a high level position, who had come across it and believed the story. But that doesn't make it true, and we don't know who that guy is, and we don't know how he got the information. That's the problem. We don't know what the sor- his source is. Now there's been speculation, and I I don't know if I should even say this or not. But supposedly, one of the people is Eric Davis. Now, I don't know. If that's one of the people he's talked to, then um, I don't know what to that think. Boy about that boy got splaining to do, Lucy. Well, <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. I have heard, and again, I, do, I have not been able to verify it. I heard that he was out at Skinwalker Ranch. And that would put him into contact with certain people whose credibility I find less than than uh, exciting the but they would be t- what another another thing I've heard out there too yeah but, he was part of Bigelow's outfit but that, and, and that, that's well known but oh okay all right but but that would put him into contact with certain people whose credibility I find wanting and if they're telling him stuff that they believe and he believes they're telling him the truth, then we're off, we're off on a, a, a snipe hunt. Uh, there's nothing there to be, to be found. But we, just, but we don't know that. You know, I, Jerry Clark, I mentioned this to Jerry Clark, and he said, well, be very careful with that information, you know, because is it verified? And I said, no, it's not verified. We don't know, but if he was at Skinwalker Ranch, we could, that allows us to speculate about who he may have come in contact with and the credibility of that information. Well, he was, Kevin. He was there. Then we're at the point where some of those people who were involved with that, I find less than credible. And that makes his information less than credible. And he's he's probably telling the truth as he believes it, but that doesn't make it uh, part of our reality, our shared reality. I keep thinking of the, the, the Mythbusters says, I, I reject your reality and substitute my own. Um, but um, he, uh, I, I just, I just don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very, obviously very ambivalent about that. And I don't want, I don't want to do anything to say anything about him that is unfair, but um, 
But you're talking about his you're talking about his statements, Kevin, and and that's not being unfair because he has said, "Why well, I, I talked to this guy and this is what this guy said, and I saw this paper, but I don't have the paper, and I saw this picture, but I don't have the picture." And this may all be true. He may have actually saw this and talked to us. But you know, as far as intelligence goes, Martin, you know this, and Don, you surely know this, that he can, he can be just the messenger of an agenda that they want to play. Hey, I'm going to tell you this. You feed it to the public. I'm, I'm, I'm over here in left field. I'm not going to get involved. But I'll tell you all these great little things. And knowing his personality... Because they, they didn't, they briefed them. They briefed them. So knowing his personality, maybe the way he is, they know exactly what was going to happen or told him to do this. I, I'm not saying that the, the information that he's giving is not what he was told. It just may be not true information by somebody that's talking to him. Like you alluded, Kevin. It could be just crap that they're feeding us. Well, that's 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 what I was saying, and we because we don't know the sources, right? We're we're stuck with trying to figure out whether the information is credible or not. We don't know who told him that, and and I have no doubt he believes what he's talking about, but um, you know, I don't. I, I, I'm in the same boat he is. I've talked to people. I've seen things. I know things. But I can't prove any of it. So what good does it do me? You know, without the out the evidence, I saw this document. Well, great. What did the, the, the where's the document? I had an argument with a guy oh, quite a long while ago, but that said he operated a um, Air Force communications center, and he saw documents coming through that center, classified documents about a crash um, in Sweden of a UFO back in the 1950s, and I said, yeah, I've seen them too. And they're part of the Project Blue Book files. And it's, it's the, that hoax about the um, Spitsbergen crash. And, and yet the guy had seen these documents and didn't, re didn't know the follow-up. I guess that was the deal. He'd seen the document, the original documents that alluded to it and suggest it was something very mysterious. And when we get beyond that, we realize, well, that, that was a hoax um, that had nothing to do with alien visitation. In the original story, I think they were talking about uh, the Cyrillic alphabet being on the control panels of the, the UFO that they'd found, the, the saucer they had found. But he had he had seen these documents and he was convinced because they had come through the communication center that they was talking about an alien spacecraft. And that's where we are with, with Grush. We don't know what he's seen. We don't know who's told him what. And we cannot verify it. We cannot take it uh, beyond that without any additional information. And I'm very weary, uh, weary, I'm very wary of that. Now, uh, we're supposed to get a report sometime in 2024 that's going to reach out to all these programs that may or may not house some type of, you know, crash retrieval. Uh, I guess the question I have, and, and like to hear everyone's opinion, do you actually think I mean, when he first came out with that, I'm like, I went, whoa, that's really quite a statement to make. But maybe it's not a crazy statement. I mean, maybe there is crashed vehicles that we do have. You know, there's uh, there's a there's uh, something I heard recently that, you know, that sounds really interesting. But again, I don't know if it's true, so I'm not going to uh, say it on the air. But 
Um, I guess the question is, do you believe that the United States has recovered craft? I don't know who wants to take that. Well, I will because I'm the big Rodswell advocate. And, and, and I, I think that they had recovered uh, alien materials at Roswell. Uh, we have, and I say we, Tom Carey, Don Schmidt, and I, spent a great deal of time running down leads of the possibility of secret projects. And when they um, investigated in the mid-1990s, the Air Force investigated in the mid-1990s, had there been a secret project that would cover that uh, event up, I mean, prove the event was something terrestrial, they would have trotted it out then. Because what would be classified in 1995 that they were doing in 1947? You know, that technology, whatever it was, would be far out of, out of date. So I lean toward the extraterrestrial because we don't have a good explanation. So, yeah, I think the government does have uh, crash retrieval materials. I don't think there's 12 of them. And if there was 12 of them, that would imply that that we engaged in hostile combat with them and knocked them out of the sky. Because I cannot believe that you're an alien race and you've discovered the secret to flying through interstellar space, which would be a technological it would be next to magic. Uh, and, and then you r- arrive on earth. And the first thing you do is you crash. Um, it, it, the numbers just don't make sense to me, but, but the Roswell case, because of the work that I've done, the work that Don Schmidt's done, the work that Tom Terry has done and the work that others have done on that case suggests that there is no good terrestrial explanation for it. So that to me says there's one and Crush alluded to Roswell, but he also alluded to this Italian thing. So I don't know what other what the other 10 would be. And I think that's important information, too, to know which which 10 events is he talking about? Are there ones that, that we know about or is it something else? I did a book called Crash When UFOs Fall from the Sky. And I think there's 118 crash is mentioned in that book. Very few of them, I would say are actual alien spacecraft. It's things that have been reported. It's single witness stuff. It's it's misinterpreted uh, interpretation of, of rocket research and all kinds of other things in, in these crash stories, including hoaxes. But um, I need to know what those 10 cases, other 10 cases are that he alluded to. And we don't know that information. Hmm. Don, you have mentioned before on this show that you you think that that would be the answer that we, they were shot down right yeah i uh <clears throat> i for years okay i followed reports of purported uh, hostilities between ufos all right uh i personally think now you know i in my paper i used grush's figure of 12 possible recoveries. Uh, now, if you get right down to it, hey, doesn't matter if it's eight or, or 14 or six, okay? I think, I, I feel confident that there have been more than, than two. Uh, but the bottom line is, Kevin made a perfectly valid point. If, if any of these are interstellar, and they are coming from another star system to this system, 
And once they get here, they crash. Well, even in my paper, I said that never made any sense to me. Uh, but what would make sense, because I saw it with my own eyes in Southeast Asia, a combat where aircraft, in that case aircraft, were knocked out of the sky. So these things, if, if in fact there were crashes, and as far as that goes, that could even include the Roswell event, all right? Somebody knocked that down. So I can remember 20, 20 odd years ago, there was a theory being pushed around that it might have been an experimental radar down at Roswell that caused navigational problems in this object and it crashed. Well, that, that never made sense to me either. But a laser, a heat beam, a missile, that would make much more sense. So for whatever it's worth. You know, one of the things, uh, this is a question for Kevin again, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> no, Yay! Um, because you, you investigated Roswell. So one of the things I think is really curious is, you know, they talk about this metal that they found. They can pick it up. They can bend it, and it pops back into the original position. Then uh, Marcel says he can hit it with a, a hammer, and it won't do anything. Well, there was pieces everywhere. So it kind of like, okay, this is, you know, a, a type of metal, whatever it is, that is so incredible and can do so much, yet... Uh, they talk about pieces just in shreds everywhere. It almost doesn't even make any sense with the type of metal that uh, that can't be damaged with an a, explosion, a Martin. Well, an no, I was going to I was going to say it. The, the 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 craft wasn't made up of just one type of thing. How many different types of of surfaces and metals and and things are in your car? So you might have a piece of, of, of metal that's very strong and you hit it with a sledgehammer and there's no, no damage to it. And you have another piece of metal that is thin and you can crumple it up. I mean, uh, it's just various components making up the, the total craft. So I, I was never bothered by the, the discussions of various kinds of metal. Uh, Bill Brazel talked about uh, the, the um, metal that was light as balsa wood, had felt like balsa wood. And he said he got out his pocket knife, which he used to cut barbed wire on. And he wanted to get a scraping on it, see if there was any stratification. He couldn't get a shaving on it. You know, so here's this, this metal that is incredibly lightweight and incredibly strong. Um, you talked about the, the uh, what we call the metal with a... You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Um, molecules with the memory. We talked about that. So we looked at, we looked at all of that sort of thing. He, he also talked about a, uh, 
what he called monofilament fishing line that you shine a light in one end and it comes out the other. Well, he's talking about fiber optics, obviously. So he had a variety yeah. of different kinds of things found so that the fact that uh, one is incredibly strong and one you could fold up and it would unfold itself doesn't mean that it was not a component. There weren't different components in the craft. Yeah, I, I, I just want to, answering Martin's question, and I know he's dropped off, hopefully he'll come back in, but as far as crash retrievals go, I think we have crash retrievals. I think we've we've had probably more than one. I don't know about twelve. That's a big figure, Kevin. You know what I mean? To to have twelve of them and and not have more of the public knowing. But I do agree that I think we we've been working on direct energy weapons and exotic weapons. If you talk to people like Ken Jordan, who is the head of the Future Army's Weapons Lab. They've been playing with plasma for years. I know at in the Hudson Valley at Tuxedo Park, um, Alfred Loomis, had, who was a billionaire and a brilliant physicist, had a secret lab there that they were working on direct energy weapons and all kinds of other different things at that park years and years and years ago. So is there a possibility we had something, something to, to shoot these things down? Yeah. Do I think we shut down 12 or 12 and crash? Because I'm in the thing is, if you have the ability to come light years here at the speed at which they can do and, and travel through that, you, 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 the probability of them crashing here is pretty remote. I mean, it just doesn't make sense for that. Well, I've, I've always said on that, you know, what, what made them crash? I said, well, maybe somebody pushed the wrong button. You know, I, I mean... The, the, the beings in there may not be infallible, but but the other thing, if, if there was 12 that crashed here and we recovered them, uh, what about South America or Africa or Asia or Europe? Why aren't there similar events there? Yeah, we talk about that, but we don't have the same kind of um, evidence for something happening in those locations that we do for the Roswell case, for example. But um, reports have come out of Russia. Yes, yeah, I talked but... talk back in the very, very early 90s, after the collapse of the uh, Soviet Union, when Dr. Marina Popovich came over. And uh, I talked to her extensively through an interpreter. Her English was not good at all. I speak no Russian. But uh, they had, according to her at any rate, they had, they had incidents where these things went down there. Now, went down. Why? I don't know. But, uh, but they, did, they did suffer crashes. Well, I, we think about Shag Harbor, too, up in Canada. But my point simply is this. If they were coming down raining from the sky, clearly something would have happened in a location where they couldn't cover it up. You know, Roswell was unique because of the, the location of the base the access the military or the, the military could control access to the media in the local community and that sort of thing. Uh, so it didn't get out. But what if it had crashed in, in near New York City or some other hub where the military couldn't control the information getting out? We, we'd have a whole different conversation. And the point simply is the more crashes you have, the more likely something is going to happen in a location where they couldn't possibly cover it up. There would be too many people involved. Too many people would have seen something. Um, 
and that sort of thing. And that, that's really my point. It just, it just doesn't make good logical sense to me. You've got to, you've got, it's got to be, it, when you have the crash, it's got to be in an isolated location where the government or the military or the law enforcement can control the information until they can get it cleaned up. And the, the more crashes you have, the more likely they are going to be unable to do that. Kevin, if we had these, I mean, if we had so many crashes, as they say, wouldn't we have so many whistleblowers? I mean, let's face it, if a flying saucer crashes, it's not going to take five or six people to get this thing. You're going to need, you know, 40, 50, 100, you know, personnel to get this craft. Out of those 100 personnel, if you had that many crafts, there'd be a lot more people talking about it. Do I believe there's crashes? Yeah, but I, I mean, come on. Not this with, with the Roswell case, we found an awful lot of people who were in Roswell. We were very fortunate that Walter Hott, the public affairs officer, had created a yearbook in the summer of 1947. So we had a, basically a list of virtually everyone who was on the base. And yeah. we, could, we could target them and we could, we could find people who would be in – specific positions to to tell us information. And we would get some stories. Uh, a guy named Robert Smith talked about how he had been building crates and they were loading crates on the on the aircraft to fly this stuff out, but the crates seemed like they were empty because they the material was so light, lightweight. And he talked about a sergeant who had stolen one of the pieces of memory mem metal that we talked about and showed it showed it around. Um, but of course, we don't know who that sergeant was, and we could never get the, get our hands on the medal. But but the real point is, you're absolutely right. If we the more times we have to deal with that, the less likely is they're going to be able to keep it under wraps because too many right. people are going to know. And and so that's why I think there's a limited number of cra crashes. And 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 uh, I, I under Soviet Union, Don, I. I if they'd had crashes, I can understand them keeping it under wraps because their society was certainly a lot different than ours. But if you've got crashes in the Soviet Union and the United States, and you're going to have them in South America, you're going to have them in Africa, you're going to have them in Europe, you're going to have them all over the world. And in that case, something is something more tangible is going to leak than than has leaked so far. You know, they say, well, they couldn't keep a secret that long. Well, they kept. They didn't really keep the secret at Roswell, but they managed to keep enough of it buried that we still argue about the reality of it. Everybody agrees something fell at Roswell. The question is, what, what was it? Uh, so we've got to look at this totality of the number of crashes and we need information about where they happened and who was involved in it so we can validate the information. And we just have not been able to get that. I think that the, the idea of 12 of them is, is way too high given, given the, um, what that would suggest about the rest of the world. Uh, Kevin, uh, since we're on Roswell right now, uh, why would the Army Air Force in the first place announce that it had captured a flying disc? I mean, why would they just not say nothing? I know that's not good English, but you get my point. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Martin. <laughs> I, that's a question that's been pondered. Uh, one of the things that we were told is that they did it on purpose because they had the lower headquarters, the 509th Bomb Group in Roswell, saying we've got a flying saucer. And then they divert attention to Fort Worth, where the, the higher headquarters, the 8th Air Force is. And they say, well, no, no, it's just it's just a weather balloon. And so 
you're kind of throwing the guys in Roswell under the bus, but you're doing it to hide the the ultimate secret that something really important was recovered there. I don't know if that's that they were. I don't know if they were clever enough to figure that out at the time or not, or or uh, Colonel Blanchard, who was the base commander, because of the circumstances uh, that we had been involved with the the big UFO, the flying saucer craze for about two weeks when Roswell happened. And he says, well, we've now got something that'll prove it. And then they realized it was something much more extraordinary than they expected. And they had to, uh, they had to cover it up, but he was trying to, well, we've got, we've got a flying saucer. You don't need to worry about them anymore. And then it was, oh my God, we can't tell them about this. So I really don't know why Blanchard would have issued the press release. And contrary to what people have said, uh, the press release had to come from the from the office of the commanding officer. I mean, Walter Hott couldn't have issued the press release on his own authority, or Jesse Marcel couldn't have issued the press release on his own authority. But now, uh, of course, this. Oh, pardon me. I just say, was, go ahead. Yeah, it's it just uh, one of those sort of enigmas that we don't have a good answer for. All we can say is, yeah, they did make the announcement, but within three hours, they'd killed the story. If you take so they a look had debris the scattered everywhere in the debris field. And do you think they thought it might be a flying saucer because, not because of its shape, because obviously it was scattered all over the place, but because of the odd metal? Is that why they think they had a flying saucer? There were, there were three sites. There was the debris field, oh, which the one two. we always were talking okay. about. Yeah. There was another site where some stuff came down, and then there was the impact site where they found the main main craft or the main the main body of information where the bodies were located, and that was much closer to Roswell. And I think that when Brazel came in, he had the metal with him when he went to the sheriff's office, and we ver verified that through the sheriff's uh, daughter, um, Phyllis McGuire told us that she had been in the office when it came in. The sheriff, in 1947, the sheriff's family lived above the jail. And so they were, the family was in and out of the jail all the time. And in fact, his wife wrote an article called Three or Four Years in the County Jail, which was about their experiences as him being the sheriff. Kevin, so she was Kevin I, got, I got a quick question dealing with this. Years ago, and it was before he self-imploded in Las Vegas in 89, but Bill Moore said, and of course, Bill Moore wrote the first book on uh, on the Roswell event, uh, said that there was a mysterious flu virus that hit the area after this thing happened. Do you know anything about that? Is that true? Or Interesting. Is that, I, pardon me? Is, do you know anything about that? that Martin. There, no, I said it, interesting. I never heard oh, of it. Okay, okay. No, I hadn't heard anything like that. And we we talked to an awful lot of people in the area, and they never talked about anything like that. My okay. point with Phyllis, my point with Phyllis McGuire was she was in the office. So when Brazel came in this, the office, he had some of the debris with him. And if it had been a weather balloon, Marcel or somebody at the base would have identified it as such. But they thought enough of it that they sent that material on to Washington, D.C., and that was on Sunday night before Marcel and Cavett went out to the debris field to pick up the debris. So, yeah, the, the, the mysterious metals, uh, it, was, it was strange enough that they thought that they uh, had a special flight into Washington, D.C. with that stuff. Um, 
So it's, you know, it's kind of kind of those things. Uh, we talk about crashes prior to 1947 before Roswell. And I'm thinking if that had happened and the, the Italian thing fits in here in Cape Girardeau in 1941, by the way, fits in there as well. If that had happened, the response by the military would have been different because they would have known about these things earlier. And they were kind of caught off guard by what happened, by, by the whole UFO thing starting in June of 1947, the whole Roswell thing. So that suggests to me that, that there was not something that preceded Roswell based on that. Um, but the, the, the metallic debris that they found on the field and, and Marcel, Jesse Marcel, both senior and junior and other people described it, but Bill Brazel described it to us as well, that it clearly was nothing of terrestrial manufacture. They might not have known that right at the time, but they knew it was something strange enough. I'm surprised that Brazel took it to Roswell as opposed to Alamogordo because his family had been living in Tularosa during the school year so the kids could go to school. And Tularosa is right near um, Alamogordo, which was the Alamogordo Army Airfield. So I'm, I'm not sure why Brazel took it into Roswell, but that's where he took it. And the, the sheriff didn't know what it was. Marcel came out and looked at it, didn't know what it was. And they arranged for some of the materials to be shipped to uh, Fort Worth and then on to higher headquarters uh, on, on the Sunday afternoon. Gentlemen, we are out of time. Thank you all so much. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Kevin, for filling in. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Chris. And we'll be back next week, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. Thanks again.